0: This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference, Shaken But Not Forsaken, in Cape Town, South Africa. For more resources like this, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Amen. Advent message to every nation.
1: Today, our, um, our, our verse for this presentation is one of my favorite Bible verses, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. Um, We're going to go back to the book of Daniel afterwards, but 2 Timothy 1 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Our message this Sabbath is entitled Facing the Fire. Facing the fire, the seven Ps of surviving persecution. Facing the fire. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to to study your word. Lord, I pray right now that you make me just a nail upon the wall, a rusty, sorry nail, Lord. But upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard today. Instead, Father God, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. as our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So we go to the book of Daniel, one of the prophetic books of the Bible, one of uh, my favorite books of the Bible. The book of Daniel happens at a time when the kingdom of Judah has been taken by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The king of Judah is captive at this time, and and. Daniel and three of his friends have been marched along a long walk all the way to Shinar or Babylon, the capital of the Chaldean Empire. As you can imagine, it's a tough thing. They're taken slaves, as it were, and shackled one to another as they're forced to walk a long way from one capital city that has fallen to one that has taken over the world. The king at the time was a man named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar II as it were and his theme as he led this country that was now this empire that was not the greatest empire in the world his theme was to return Babylon to its greatness. He wanted to make Babylon great again. In fact in his efforts to do this he He started a massive building campaign with many bricks used to do so and he built incredible temples and he built the hanging gardens of Babylon, built because his wife was a foreigner to Babylon. And so he built the the gardens to try and remind her of where she was from up in the mountains. He used many bricks to do this as said, he walked this long distance Uh, From 586 to 516 BC, Judah was held captive by him. In Daniel chapter 2, he has a vision, this Nebuchadnezzar, and he can't figure it out. Daniel, after he and the three Hebrew boys have, have gone through this process of removing from them the king's meat and the king's wine, Daniel is called and he is able to give interpretation for the dream. Babylon is represented, as you know, as the head of gold. And when Nebuchadnezzar hears this, I don't know that he hears anything else about the dream. He is so impressed that he represents the head, the part of the thing that would think. Talked about Rome being the legs and the crushing power last night. He liked being the head and he liked being gold. And so he really fell into this thing, and, and what he did is he decided that it wasn't enough for him, that this um, kingdom would end, so he began to try and see if he could set up a way to make his kingdom last forever. And one of the things that he did is he decided he was going to make an idol that was all gold to represent his kingdom. Daniel 3 and verse 1 says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. It was about 90 feet tall. And to this day in the plain of Dura, there is a mound that they have found that might have made a perfect base for such a statue. He wanted everyone to be able to see it. So what he does in Daniel 3 and verse 2, he says, Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together all of the leaders, princes, governors, captains from the military, judges from the judicial system, treasurers from the financial system, counselors, sharers from the the law enforcement, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. In other words, he wanted to set this up and he wanted every aspect of society to understand that he was the man. He got them all gathered together in verse 3. And all of them stood before this idol. Verse 4 says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that you fall down, when you hear the sound of the music, that you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall at the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So he says, listen, you're going to bow or you're going to burn? It's your choice. Some people ask, why a furnace? That's a weird way to kill people. Burn them in a furnace. But you see, Babylon was, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was such a narcissist that his, the furnace was the source of how he was building this new Babylon. He, see, stones were rare. It wasn't like Egypt where they could go get big stones and build things. So they had to bake brick. And so he used the furnace, and you can see how hot these furnaces would get, and he used them to make the brick to build what he was trying to get to. And they could actually lay a glaze over it, so when you look at it, it was a beautiful mosaics could be made, and it was really pretty. And on the, on the inside, he made sure to stamp every brick, and these are actual bricks that were found, stamp every brick with his name. So if you were on the right, if you're on the inside of the brick, you could see it's a made by Nebuchadnezzar, made by Nebuchadnezzar, made by Nebuchadnezzar. It's like putting up a giant hotel with your name on it, right? Um, Somebody got that. Some of you got that. Some of y'all aren't following this thing good, but it's all right. It's all right. So the Bible says that at that time when all the people heard the sound of the music, they fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So what was he trying to do? So we, we can bring this back around to religious liberty. What is he really trying to do? One, he is trying to circumvent prophecy. He's trying to change the way prophecy is supposed to go by bringing everyone together. He's trying to use an ecumenical approach to change the outcome of what has been prophesied. Number two, he he mistook his power in government for moral authority. So he thought because he was in power, he had the right to dictate other folks' morality and how they lived. So one of the things that you'll see in the end times. And of course, the third is entertainment. He tied music to false worship because he understood that music bypasses the frontal lobe of your brain, the thinking part of your brain. It goes in through a different part of your brain and into your head and it can affect you. And the words, when they're being sung, when words are being sung, you don't challenge them mentally the same way you do when someone speaks words to you. So if you want to move someone to do something, one of the ways to do it is put a beat to it, put a melody to it, and sing it to someone. When you go to the store, I don't know about it in South Africa, but when you go to the store in America, they play all the oldies, all the hits. And you know why? Because while you're in there shopping, and Michael Jackson come on, you're just a dancing to old Michael Jackson, and you're just throwing stuff in your cart you don't even need because you're talking about some thriller. So you, you, know, you, you fill up your cart with stuff you don't need because the music gets you in a mood where you're not thinking. You play the music because the wrong kind of music will move you in the wrong direction. Verse 8 says, Wherefore at the time certain Chaldeans came there and accused the Jews... They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You made a O king made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psalter, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. That's what you said, Nebuchadnezzar. But there are certain Jews. that tells you a lot. The Bible, you know, when you read the Bible, you got to kind of take your time with the thing. It says certain Jews, which means that there were some Jews that were uncertain. Oh, y'all missing this thing. In other words, they weren't the only Jews. Somebody in that crowd went to academy with these three boys. Somebody in that crowd was in Sabbath school with them three boys. Somebody in that crowd was a pathfinder with these three boys. But them other folk bowed When the certain ones stood. Number one, they weren't the only ones. But the second thing is, they are certain because they are convinced not to bow. Certain of these Jews are defying you on purpose. In fact, when you look at the thing, this is what they say. uh, That you have said over the affairs of, of of the province of Babylon. He names them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded you. They serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image which you set up. Calls them out on the table. Let me tell you something. I think that the reason these men, part of the reason that they have this fortitude to stand is because in Daniel 1, they don't eat what everybody else eats. I think there's spiritual power given them because they follow a health message in Daniel 1. But also, you notice Daniel is not in the story. And that's probably because Daniel was somewhere else. I believe Nebuchadnezzar probably sent Daniel away, some folk have argued, so that Daniel wouldn't be around because he knew Daniel wouldn't bow. There's certain Jews that have not regarded you. Look at the three things he charges them with. They don't serve your gods and they will not worship the golden image that you have set up. And the thing is, you see, they're all jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they don't like that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a better job than they do. You can read it in the first part up there. You set them over the provinces of Babylon. You hook these dudes up, and now they won't bow. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. So in his rage and fury, he's embarrassed. He's ashamed that he's not, uh, that these guys would actually go against him. And so he says, look, bring them before me. So you heard the testimony this morning. One of the things that you need to know as a Christian is that trial and problems are going to come. Think it not some strange things when you are faced with fiery trials, the apostle says. In fact, the first P of this process of, of, of surviving persecution, the first P is pressure, and you ought to expect pressure to come at you. In fact, Matthew 5, 11 was one of my favorite verses when I was going through the trial that I talked about this morning. It says, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I, I'm here to tell you that p- problems are going to come. Persecution will come. So, and so sometimes when I preach you know, these kind of sermons, I have to step back and say, you may not go through the public stuff that I went through. Yeah. But I will guarantee you trial is going to come. Tribulation is going to come, the pressure is going to come, and by God's grace, when you're faced with trial, one of the things that will show is that you stand firm for what you believe in the trial. There's a blessing in learning to praise God inside the storm. The problem for a lot of us is the storm hits and we start complaining, In fact, what the devil did to me, and what he probably has done to many of you is, the trial comes, and he's telling you to jump ship. He tells you to jump out of the church. Leave God alone. The Spirit of Prophecy says it like this. She says, "When, when we look for joy, behold, there is sorrow. When we expect peace, we we frequently have distrust and doubt because we find ourselves plunged into trials we cannot avoid. In these trials, we are having the answers to our prayers. Are y'all missing this thing? You see, God sends the storm. He sends, and we'll talk more about this in a second, but he sends the storm because you prayed you wanted a closer walk with him. Oh, y'all missing this thing. You prayed that you wanted to be a better Christian. You prayed that you wanted to be ready for when Jesus comes. So guess what he does? He sends the storm to help prepare you. She says the Lord places us in, in different positions to develop us. If we have defects of character of which we are not aware, he gives us discipline that will bring those defects to our knowledge that we may overcome them. Did you know that the trial came so that god it was like a Holy Ghost cat scan machine, like an MRI? The trial just shows you the the defaults in your character, the metastatic cancer-like problems in who you are. The trial really only surfaced what was already flawed that was there. And let me tell you something, when I was going through my thing, that was one of the hardest things I had to face. That as I was going through the trial, I had to come to the reality that there were parts of me that had not been fully surrendered to God. And it took the trial for me. Like Job, the story of Job starts out, Job, God says that Satan, Job is perfect. By the end, God is like, Job, where were you when I put the world into existence? Because even perfect Job had to grow. She says, what should you do when you are tried by the providences of the Lord? You should rise to the emergency of the case and overcome your defects of character. In other words, the trial came to give you an opportunity to allow the hand of God as a surgical scalpel uh, 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 that is divinely inspired to cut from you the mess of cancer of sin in your life. He allowed the trial so that you would be willing to undergo a procedure to remove from you those things that are inhibiting your relationship with him. And so when the trial comes, the first prayer you need to learn to ask, pressure comes, Lord, what am I supposed to learn from this? What is it that is, what is it I need to let go of, Lord? What is it that I'm holding on to that this trial has been sent to me to agitate away from me? In verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke unto these boys and said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you don't serve my God? You don't worship the golden image which I have set up? Is that true? Then he gives them a second chance, because the devil always going to give you a second chance. Now, if you be ready. That at which, at what time you hear the sound of the music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well, but if you worship not, you will be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And I like this statement from, from, from Nebuchadnezzar. It speaks volumes. He says, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? That's a bold statement, old Nebuchadnezzar says here. It's a challenge. You say in America, that's trash talk. He's talking junk, right? And what does he mean by it? He says, who is that God? Why? Because you see, according to the rules that Nebuchadnezzar is, is working under, you see, he, his God has already whooped the Hebrew God. Y'all missing this thing. You see, to Nebuchadnezzar, there's no more fight left in Jehovah. Jehovah already has his king in captivity. The priceless vessels from the temple are in Shinar. They're in Babylon the brightest, best-looking, best, uh, best looking, smartest young men in the kingdom who are of royal blood are now bowing in front of his idol. And he's saying, listen, your God has already been whooped. He's lost. Who is he that he should stop me now? Sometimes in our lives, it, sometimes it starts to look like God lost. Doesn't it? Sometimes you get a diagnosis of cancer or a diagnosis of of diabetes or uh, some terrible diagnosis or some horrible financial thing comes or your marriage falls apart. You say, well, I've been praying for this thing and God didn't answer the prayer. That thing beat God. And you start to doubt God around that thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that you don't worship God in your circumstance. It's not because of what's going right that you worship God. It's because God simply is right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. I like how they say this. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful. We're not careful to answer you on this matter. What does that mean? They're saying, listen, we're not even going to sugarcoat this thing. We're not going to water down our response. We're going to tell you straight out what we think. We are going to come at you like we're supposed to. We're not going to play around with this thing. We're not even going to try and be politically correct. Amen. We're going to speak truth to this, to this situation. So the second P, the second P is power. When you're going through a trial, remember that the second P is power and that you need to claim Power in your, in your persecution, in your problem, in your difficulty. And goes back to our verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I like to say about this verse that fear is a horrible GPS system. Fear, boy, you'll make the dumbest decision when you're chicken. When you're scared, you won't step out in faith and go back to school. And seven years later, you're still trying to figure out what you're going to do. But did you know that when they had to cross the Jordan River, the priest had to put his foot in the water before the river opened? If you let fear lead you, you'll keep your feet dry when all you had to do was touch what it is you're afraid of and the water would open. Fear makes a horrible GPS system. He's not giving us a spirit of fear. Power, love, and a sound mind. When trial comes your way, this is one of those verses you need to recite. Because what trial does is it scares you. The spirit of prophecy says it like this. Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 3, page 495, she says, It is obstacles that make men strong. It is not helps but difficulties, conflicts, rebuffs that make men of moral sinew. Too much ease and avoiding responsibility have made weaklings and dwarfs of those who ought to be responsible men of moral power and sp- strong spiritual muscle. Let me tell you something. When I was growing up, the kids that got everything were the softest kids. Me, I had to shovel snow and cut grass to buy, to, so I could buy school clothes. When I was 12 years old, I was out cutting yards. I couldn't even see the end of the grass sometimes. I meet with that little lawnmower just chugging along. I'm gonna buy me some nice shoes though. <laughs> Other folk were at home getting everything they wanted. And when we got to high school and college, they did not have the fortitude to stand the test. Let me tell you, some of you come from poverty and difficulty. It has given you a strength that your wealthy counterparts might never know. And let me tell you something, you better use it to your advantage that you've got the grit. You don't mind the floor, the bed, or if you got to hang from a ceiling. long as you find somewhere to sleep, you'll make it happen. Obstacles make men strong. You see, that's why you go and lift weights. And for those of us who lift weights, I like to go lift weights. When you lift weights, what you're actually doing is damaging your body. What you're doing is causing microscopic tears in the muscle. So you go to work chest, you push the muscle, your pectoralis muscle. there's little microscopic rips in the muscle. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each of those little microscopic tears. So if this is the tear, the distance from here to here, God made it so he doesn't take the muscle and put the muscle back together. What God does is when the muscle tears, this microscopic tear, he fills in the space with new muscle. So every time you challenge the muscle, Through resistance training, the muscle becomes bigger and stronger. Why? So that the next time you can lift more weight than you could the time before. Y'all missing this thing. In other words, that's how you get bigger and stronger is to challenge your muscle. Your faith works the same way. You go through trial, your faith gets ripped, it gets shredded, it gets cut up. But if you stay there with God and you supply the right nutrients and you give your body enough rest, what happens is God fills in the tears in your faith with new faith. That's why trials come. So that you learn power. You have the faith to trust the power of God. These young men said, listen. We're not careful to answer you, O Nebuchadnezzar. He says, verse 17, if it be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. The secret to this whole story is verse 18. Verse 18 says, but if not, be it known, O king, that we will not serve your God, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. The three Hebrew boys made their decision to serve God, not because he, wi- he would deliver them, but because he could deliver them. He, they trusted him, not because they expected to be delivered from the fire, but because they knew he could deliver them from the fire. When you're going through a trial, I want you to learn to tr- trust God, trust his promise. Remember that no matter what you're going through, he can deliver you. So if he's choosing not to, he has a reason. Do you have that kind of trust in God? That even when everything's going wrong, you trust him even though nothing's going right. The third P is promise. You need to apply the promises of the Bible to your life. Isaiah 43 verse 2 is a verse that I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew and remembered when they were going through the trial. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. I believe that those young men knew the promise and they claimed the promise so they could stand in Nebuchadnezzar's face and say, we don't care. If you push us in the fire, we'll go in the fire. If we get burned up, it's fine because we serve a God who can deliver us. If he chooses not to, it's okay. Let me tell you, when you take that attitude with your problems, I'm going through Because you know what the devil does? He did it to me. You start focusing on yourself when you go through problems. Woe is me. Woe is me. Look how terrible God is. Look at what he's allowing me to go through. And you start focusing on yourself. How unfair this is. How unfair this is. How unfair this is. And you start focusing on yourself. And you know who you stop focusing on by default when you focus on yourself? Jesus. You stop focusing on him. And when you start to do that, the problem mushrooms. Because you can never solve the problem. When you're going through something the next time, I challenge you to lift Jesus up higher. To not complain. To not worry about what you're going through. I challenge you to make Jesus your all. Spirit of Prophecy says it like this. She says, we do not value the power and efficacy of prayer as we should. Prayer and faith will do what no power on earth can accomplish. Pray with power. Pray the promises. We'll talk about prayer more tomorrow. But when I pray, one of the things I like to interject into the prayer is actual Bible promises in the prayer. Verse 19 says, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was wont to be heated. He got mad. He was embarrassed now that they challenged him. And he commanded that the most mighty men that were in his army bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So notice he uses the strongest men, he binds them, and to make them human torches, he puts them in layered clothes to throw them in the fire. In fact, the Bible says because his, his commandment was urgent and the furnace was so hot that these great men that took them up were killed. Let me tell you something What happens with your trials? Sometimes the very people who came after you to destroy you are burned by the fire. They started to kill you. I saw it. When I went through my thing. Some of those people uh, at my old job that were jumping up and down to get me didn't realize that the whole reason the money was coming into the department in the first place was the very guy they were trying to get rid of. And when I went, so did the money. And within a year, almost everybody that was trying to get rid of me lost their own job. The fire was so hot, (laughs) you, you got slain trying to slay me. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fire first. Remember, they were bound. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Wait a minute, didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They said, uh, Yeah, king, that, that's exactly what we did. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and I like this, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth looks like the Son of God. Can you imagine? Nebuchadnezzar shocked because he's looking down into this furnace, and he's looking, and first of all, there's bottles, he's expecting them to be rolling around getting toasted like hot dogs. But when he looks around, they're standing up walking around. And they're not just walking around. There's not three of them, there's four of them. Somebody asked, well, how did he know he looked like the son of God? Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had some dreams. He recognized divinity. Which leads you to the fourth P. The fourth P is presence. When you're going through your trial, I want you to acknowledge that God's presence is always with you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Guess what? That promise doesn't stop when the trial starts. You don't start going through something and God say, eh, time to pack up and go. Now, your family may do that. Your friends may do that. Everyone you expected to stick around may do that. But guess what? The power of the living God will stay with you. And one of the things you got to keep reminding yourself of as you go through difficulty is that God does not forget his own. In fact, that's what the Spirit of Prophecy says on this one. But the Lord did not forget his own. As his witnesses were cast into the furnace, the Savior revealed himself to them in person. And together they walked in the midst of the fire. In the presence of the Lord of heat and cold, the flames lost their power to consume. Y'all missing this thing. You see, the fact that Jesus was in the fire means that the laws of physics were suspended. Oh, all of a sudden, fire stopped being fire. You see, he has the power. He has the power to suspend the laws of physics. So when he needs to get to a boat and his disciples are out there, he can walk on water and gravity at 9.8 meters per second squared have no power over him. That's why when Lazarus was sick, he delayed on purpose. Because if Jesus had just been in the vicinity, if he had been in the house, death couldn't occupy a house where Jesus was. So he couldn't have died. The miracle couldn't happen. So they'd have been sitting around waiting for him to die. Boy, it's taking an awful long time for this brother to croak. He had to stay away. Watch this. If Jesus is in the equation, I want you to understand the power that you're afraid of actually has no power. The fact that Jesus was in the furnace meant the fire couldn't burn. Which means Jesus, as they dropped into the fire, he showed up. In fact, I sometimes wonder if he wasn't in there waiting for him. She says, never feel that Christ is far away. He is always near. His loving presence surrounds you. Seek him as one who desires to be found of you. He desires you not only to touch his garments, but to walk with him in constant communion. Now, let, let, me, let me tell you what's deep. If they had decided to pretend like their shoe were untied, and when the music played, they just... Kind of bent down and started tying their shoes so that it looked like they were bowing and they could try and just or if they had a be like, listen when the music started playing, knock me over so I can fall, it looked like a. So that's what some of us were trying to figure out. Well maybe, oh I caught a caught a Charlie horse. <laughs> You'd have found a way to go. Listen, if they had a compromised, don't miss this. Had they compromised, they would never have met Jesus. Ha! Sometimes the fire comes because it's in the fire. That's the only place you'll meet him. Sometimes it's in your trial, your tribulation, in your struggle, in your difficulty. It's in your darkest hour that you get to experience Christ in such a way. And sometimes in our attempt to avoid the fire, we avoid a a meeting, a meaningful experience with Jesus the Christ. Sometimes it's the fire where Jesus is waiting for you. But this fifth P is purification. 1 Peter 1 and verse 7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Your, this is to purify you. You need to embrace the fact that you're being purified. Ellen White says The plans of God are always the best. Although we may not always discern them, perfection of Christian character can be obtained only through labor, conflict, and self denial. Labor, conflict, And self-denial in between see a lot of us are willing to put in the labor we'll work 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 but we don't want any conflict in order to be purified she says the fire of affliction must kindle upon us and our will must be brought into conformity to the will of God in order to be conformed to the image of our Savior we pass through a most painful process of refining She said it is in coming in contact with difficulties that, we, that will give you spiritual muscle and sin. You have talked about that already. You will become strong in Christ if you endure the testing process and the proving of God. But if you find fault with your situation, don't miss this. If you find fault with your situation and with everybody around you, you will only grow weaker. The trials that come upon us come to prove us. The enemy of our souls is working against us continually, but our defects of character will be made manifest to us, and when they are made plain, instead of finding fault with others, let us say, I will arise and go to my Father. Some of us get in the trial, and you know what we do? We start figuring out it was everybody else's fault but ours. That boss, that was a wicked and evil boss. And you may not have done anything wrong. The secret to growing in your trial is not to try and figure out what was wrong with everybody else in the trial. It's to figure out what is God trying to change in me in the trial. When we begin to realize that we are sinners and fall on the rock to be broken, the everlasting arms are placed about us and we are brought close to the heart of Jesus. Then shall we be charmed with his loveliness and disgusted with our own righteousness. Some of us go through trial because we're self-righteous. And it takes trial for you to realize even your righteousness is as filthy rags. We need to come close to the foot of the cross. The more we humble ourselves there, the more exalted will God's love be. Appear. The six P, the sixth one, is protection. Accept it. Understand that no matter how bad the trial gets, you're safe in the wings and under the arms of God. Psalm 91, 6 and 7 says, "...nor for the pr- pestilence that walketh in darkness..." Nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand. But it shall not come nigh thee. You are protected. Ellen White says the like this. She says, by the deliverance of his faithful servants, the Lord declared that he takes his stand with the oppressed. Did you get that? And rebukes all earthly powers that rebel against the authority of heaven. It took their stand to make that statement. Verse 27, the princes, the governors, and captains, the king's councils, being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, nor were their coats changed. Not even the smell of fire passed on them. They didn't even smell like cigarette smoke. <laughs> and notice what God does. He, uh, the enemy wants to bring you out in public and destroy you. He wants the whole world to see That's what they did to me. They wanted the whole world to see it. You know what ended up happening? Folk went and listened to my sermons who would have never listened to them, who didn't know God, who didn't know Jesus, and started listening to all those sermons. Now, I don't know what the effect was on all those folk, but I know one thing. When they get to the judgment, they are not going to be without an excuse. Your trial, ha, your trial sometimes is you're you're being beaten down, you're being uh, beaten up, your difficulties and your challenges exist so that when you rise in Christ Jesus, when God works the thing out for you, you are a walking, living, breathing testimony of the power of God. Somebody on your job now knows that God exists because they saw where you were. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, ah, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. I like that. You see, because he was the one bragging in the beginning. He was the one bragging. We'll come back to that in a second. But yesterday, one of the things that we were able to do, I wanted to go out to uh, Robin Island and, and see some things, but it didn't work out. The weather was bad. I mean, that was on Thursday, actually. It's funny. The weather's been perfect ever since. And that was because God wanted me to go somewhere else. He wanted me to go out to, I don't know where actually the place is, but it's where the Huguenot um, Memorial is. And there's a museum. And I went out there. And if you have, if you live here and you haven't been there, you need to go look at it there's a video they showed that showed how these French people were tortured, beaten, killed in France until finally they had to escape. Now, some of them wound up in North America. But the piece of the great controversy that was missing in my historical knowledge is that so many of them came here. That, in fact, South Africa, like America, shares a heritage that it was in part Founded by folk who were fleeing religious persecution. And when you watch the video, the stuff that was being done to them in France was next-level torture. Uh Could it be? God established this nation. Brought those individuals here so that there was a Protestant presence in the southern part of Africa. Now, like America, your history isn't perfect. But guess what? the God that helped establish the place is perfect. And maybe the work that is in front of us as Adventists here is to finish the work that they started and couldn't complete. Maybe the persecution that they had, the the difficulty that they went through, the blood that they shed so that this nation could be founded, maybe there is a spiritual heritage that if we recognize it, we can latch on to and by the blood of Jesus Christ, like the three Hebrew boys, stand up. And make great things happen. I challenge you. The Bible says they gave their bodies. They yielded their bodies. So Nebuchadnezzar says, Therefore I make a decree that every every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill. And here's how good God is. He allows Nebuchadnezzar to answer his own question. Remember he asked, Who is this God that shall deliver you out of my hand? It's not all big and bad. Now listen to them. Because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Who is that God? Jehovah is that God. Then the seventh P is found in verse 30. The seventh P says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The seventh P is promotion. You heard it in some of the testimonies today. In Tracy's testimony today, you heard it. You go through these doldrums, and then God, when you come through the other side, he will lift you up. If you learn not to complain too much, you know what you got to learn to do sometimes like Joseph? When you're in your prison experience, serve somebody else. Do the work. Be diligent in the little work that is given you. Be faithful in the work that you think is beneath you. And you'll be shocked at how God, when he can trust you to to sweep a, a street, a file a file when you've got a degree, when, when you are willing to go and work in a small missionary clinic when you should be, you thought you were going to be leading a nation in public health, when you're faithful in little things, God will elevate you to big things. Promotion, whoso despises the word shall be destroyed, but who, he that fears the commandment shall be Rewarded. She says as in the days of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego so in the closing period of earth's history the Lord will work mightily in behalf of those who stand steadfastly for the right. He who walked with the Hebrew worthies in the fiery furnace will be with his followers wherever they are. His abiding presence will comfort and sustain in the midst of the time of trouble. Trouble as has as such has not been since there was a nation his chosen ones will stand unmoved. Satan, with all the hosts of evil, cannot destroy the weakest of God's saints. Angels that excel in strength will protect them, and in their behalf, Jehovah will reveal himself as a God of gods, able to save to the uttermost those who have put their trust in him. It is the triumph of the Christian faith that it enables its followers to suffer and be strong, to submit, and thus To conquer that is the strength of the Christian faith one of my favorite stories is the story that happened in 328 AD high in the icy mountains of Armenia the Roman Empire at that time was still a pagan Roman Emperor and he made a decree that every subject every man woman and boy and girl in his Empire must bow and worship him as a god All throughout the empire, the idol of this, of, this, of this emperor was taken and lifted up, and people would bow. Finally, it got to a legion of 100 great soldiers, and they lifted it up, and the, and the entourage that was representing the emperor came and said, you have to bow now and worship the emperor. When this thing went up, 60 of the 40 men bowed. But 40 men refused to bow. You see, 40 of them had been converted to Christianity and refused to bow. They said, we will bow to no God, but the one true God. True story. When it went back to Rome that they refused to bow, the emperor sent another entourage out, and this time, with more firepower, more ability to make them bow. And they went back, and in order to make them bow, they took them up high into the mountains of Armenia to an icy lake in the middle of a winter when there was a storm. And when they got them to the top, they said, listen, you can bow now, or you're going to suffer. They refused to bow. They stripped them of their clothes and, and had them march onto the icy lake. Near the lake were some hot springs. The other soldiers bathed in the hot springs. The other soldiers started fires and warmed themselves and cooked food. The other 60 began to, to, to laugh at them and mock them. They, they began to tease them and, and, to, and, to, and to make fun of them. Finally, the commander, who did not want to lose them, yells across the icy lake, are you ready to come and bow and eat food and get warm?" The 40 of them shout back in unison, here die 40 men for Christ. As time went on and they'd ask them, they'd shout back, here stand 40 men for Christ. As the night got darker and the winds got colder and the the icy lake began to, to freeze parts of their body, one of the 40 decided it wasn't worth it and he stumbles off of the ice through the snow and falls near the fire where he's wrapped in a warm blanket and food and and, and warm drink is given him. The commander turns to the other 39. Look, this guy made the right decision. He's bowing. Just, Just come off of the ice. But just then the strangest thing happened. One of the 60 turns to the commander and says, listen, I want what they have. Their God is a God I want to serve. And that one begins to strip himself, takes off all of his clothes, walks out onto the ice and joins the other 39, and the 40 of them together begin to shout, Here die 40 men for Christ. The tradition holds that as the winds whipped that night, as the winds howled and the snow fell, Even in the faintness over all of that, they could still hear them shouting as they died a most cruel death. Here die 40 men for Christ. There's a chapel uh, representing that story that you can visit today in Eastern Europe. What will it take for you to stand? What is it that the world is offering you? that would make you bow before the idols of the world? What is it that they have given you that makes it so that you don't want to fully commit your life to Jesus Christ? Because every head is bowed and every eye is closed and something is played softly. Maybe somebody wants to be like that 40th man who walks out onto the ice and give their life fully to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never been baptized Maybe you have no church family. Maybe this Advent message is new to you. I don't know your story, but you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today. I ask that you just raise your hand wherever you are.
0: This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference, Shaken But Not Forsaken, in Cape Town, South Africa. Amen Missions, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a youth-led ministry seeking to inspire young people to be Bible-based, mission-focused, and Christ-centered Christians. Our aim is to assist in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world in this generation, starting in South Africa. For more resources like this, or to find out how to support this work, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Advent message to every nation. This recording was produced by the Preparation Ministry.